0: You're very welcome along to the Gardening Programme here on Midwest Radio on the Saturday morning. pori good morning good to you. Good morning
1: Deirdre, good morning. That's a great bit of, of uh, good news with the high pressure coming in, delighted to hear it. Yeah, I'm
0: going to share with <laughs> listeners, when Pori came in first he said the week has been really wet. Yeah. I'm not yeah. all that happy with it, uh, but I said well I said, wait until you hear the forecast yeah. at nine it'll be super. good. Yeah, super. Yeah. super.
1: Yeah. So high pressure, yeah, it's great, it's great, it'll be nice dry weather for the next couple of days.
0: So you had a great uh, Saturday, last Saturday after the programme in we did
1: indeed where as as i said to listeners last week um, the tidy towns of kilchimar had organized a mel Um, and the planting of of the the old railway station in Kilshamaw the the Tidy Downs have done an amazing job on the old signal box they've um, repainted it and and got all the levers Mm. going and so on and that project is still on running Um, and the guys have got great plans for Kilshamaw some really exciting things coming particularly next year Uh, but as part of that we said we'd do a bit of planting you know typical of, of many railway stations an old bank of soil a big long bank of soil and right beside the railway station so we planted that last Saturday morning at half 10 we started at half 10 and believe it or not within an hour all done. 400 plants had yeah. been put in the soil and the, wow. the the community were just fantastic and one of the uh, One of the volunteers said to me on the way out, he said, you know, if everybody does a little, nobody has to do a lot. And I thought that summed it up so well. And and really the whole ethos of the metal that everybody, you know, gets stuck in. And we had a great banter and great fun. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I partnered them up into teams. So we had one digger, one planter and they just scooted through the hole. And we had, uh, you know, a mixture of ages from some transition students there, right through to people of my age, of my vintage and older. Um, So it was great. The whole community came out and a great mix of people. And the weather stayed dry, which was crucial. Uh, So we planted a a wide variety of plants, You know, aesthetically, it's going to look really pretty from certainly May, June, right through till this time of year. Um, And then I kind of selected plants that would have a biodiversity element as well. The bees, the butterflies, the hoverflies, and so on. Showed the team as well how to prune back plants. And many of them went off with their little cuttings to take home to their own gardens. Brilliant. To things. We did a a little section for five minutes on propagation. It's all up on the... Uh, Kilchamaw Tidy Town's Facebook page so uh, the guys had organised a drone camera drone to actually filming us while we were planting oh
0: I didn't see that but yeah. no I did see a couple of photographs and I think it might have come from uh, that particular source but I didn't see well the check it well, out. we'll have to check out the because I was the video.
1: there on the Friday I laid out the plants on the Friday so there's a couple of pictures of just laying out the plants but in particular the Saturday and the drone footage, footage is great and um, I think they've recorded that piece I did on just how to take cuttings of plants as well so look we had I thoroughly enjoyed it it was great banter great fun great to see the community out and you know there's going to be a legacy there now in Kilshimaw of biodiversity plants you know particularly this time particularly next spring it's going to be very exciting to see the plants coming through so delighted with the project and and, uh, my thanks to the community and lots of people from that listened to the programme just turned up oh, fantastic. with their spades shovels and their wellingtons well, well and their white gear and so yeah. on so it was great that the weather stayed dry so terrific and well done to everyone um, just men- mentioning just another event that's happening this weekend Deirdre mm-hmm. in um, in our own store in Turlock and Castle Bar Deirdre McCarthy who is my resident florist uh, Deirdre is actually doing with Halloween coming up She's doing around a Halloween the corner now, yeah. theme. So she's bringing along a whole range of wreaths uh, and door wreaths and Halloween decorations. As she said to me this morning, her car is full of spiders and, um, you know, spooky things and spooky things autumnal colours and so on. So she's going to be in the garden centre today and tomorrow uh, giving free demonstrations just if people want to come along, if they're thinking of dressing up their house for Halloween, door wreaths, uh, table wreaths, that type of thing. She's going to be there in our Christmas section. Should, Did I say you say Did I, should I Did you say that word? Should I mention that word? It's actually I up. Saw,
0: I saw It's up already. It's up
1: <laughs> Bones already. Bulbs
0: for Christmas, I saw. Yeah, yeah, so
1: look at it. It's that time of year. So yeah. Deirdre's going to be there today and tomorrow, and Deirdre's fantastic. She's full of some fantastic ideas and how to dress up your home. And she's so down to earth. She'll teach you a lot about the materials that you'll get in, in your environment and your garden that you can use. And, so and it doesn't read.
0: have to be a big expenditure, as Exactly,
1: such. yeah. So she she's terrific for that. And just uh, chatting about bulbs. Um, a couple of questions I had actually from the group last week in Kilchmall people were asking me about the planting of bulbs and is there an easier way when they're putting them into their lawns in particular or into wildflower meadows Mm. and you can actually get a bulb planter so rather than using a spade or a shovel or a, a trowel you can actually get a device that literally takes a core of soil so you just press it into your lawn, you lift it out, it takes a core of soil you pop in the bulb and you put back in your the core of soil just sits back in on top of the bulb again you just press it down. So you can get those in a long-handled Uh, bulb plant or a short handle, if you're planting bulbs in a flower board or a bed. So there's a little simple device that just literally takes a core of soil. And lifts it up. And lifts it up. Because it can be
0: a bit awkward the digging out of the bit and then it falls back in on top and you're trying to get the bulb down.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Particularly (laughs) in... My
0: experience.
1: Particularly in lawns anyway. You know where you want, you don't want to be damaging the grass and you want to leave it neat and tidy. This literally takes that core of soil, just simply lifts it out, you pop in your daftal bulb or whatever and you just simply pop it back. So you can get that in a long-hand uh, bulb planting tool which you just press your foot on or they come in kind of a, a short one. one that you press in with your hand into the ground. So there you'll see those in your local garden centres available and particularly for planting bulbs in lawns and wildflower meadows where you don't want to be doing too much damage yeah. or maybe around other trees or shrubs and you want to put in a few bulbs. Those bulb planters are, are very, uh, very and, handy. And
0: the long-handled one's particularly useful I imagine if people maybe have, uh, you know, bad backs. Bad backs and all that. Yeah, yeah, they're a perfect. Yeah, yeah Where you don't want to be bending. That, yeah, where it's awkward for you. Yeah, just you just press whatever. your
1: foot on it and literally it takes that core yeah. out and you pop your bulb in and, and away you go. And of course, with a bit of dry weather, it'll be good planting, hopefully planting weather for um, for bulbs in general, because this is the time, if your ground is very heavy and we have had a lot of rain, yeah. remember that you can pot them up in containers and pots and, and just leave them outside and they'll, they'll root away and, and you can pop them back into the garden then in, in early spring where you want them to flower. So they're the sort of things
0: OK, so lots lots to contend with there.
1: Lots to do, yeah. Look at it again, you know, if we do get a couple of dry days. Um, which are promised. The, the weather is extremely mild. There's still lots of growth um, going on. Uh, it is going to be quite wet to get out on your lawn and so on. But in terms of sowing seeds of plants, planting bulbs, the planting of plants uh, like we did last Saturday, like I was amazed how, how the soil was really, really workable last Saturday um, for planting the the plants in Gilchimaw. So, you know, it's, it's really good weather for those type of things. The other thing to remember this time of year is to consider putting in a compost heap so yeah. as the leaves begin to fall, which Will over the next well, couple of weeks. I even
0: noticed this morning on the road, uh, it kind of just struck me that uh, I know we've had maybe a slightly slower autumn because the temperatures yeah. have been uh, just that bit kind Mild. of higher, exactly. Yeah. But uh, on the road this morning, I could really see lots of leaves starting. I, mean, yeah. I know it was a bit breezy in the rain last night.
1: And once we get a bit of breezy weather um, and a bit of cold It'll weather, they the will start to fall. And you know, leaf litter, grass clippings, if you're doing some general weeding around your garden, if you're pruning back, hedging plants, you know, laurel leaves or gristlene leaves or whatever whatever. all Remember all the material that you can repurpose from your kitchen. So your fruit peelings, old fruit that's gone off, tea bags, tea leaves, coffee granules, shredded newspapers. There's so much material that we actually just throw out in, in our garbage or in our um, even in recycling mm. that you can actually repurpose in a compost heap and it makes fantastic compost if you start in october it's got the whole winter to to decompose decompose and and create that nice rich compost that we talk about you know putting on your rhubarb or putting into your vegetable garden next year so This time of year, October, early November, super time to start a compost heap. And um, it'll be very usable by the time we get into next spring. A little tip is to put on a little bit of the uh, activator, the compost activator. Again, you'll get that in your local garden centre. Generally, every six inch layer of material, put a handful of activator. And try to use different materials. So don't be tempted to use all leaves. Uh, Uh, Or all grass. Or all grass. Try to mix up materials and and put some shredded newspapers, you know, egg cartons, eggshells, they'll all decompose. Any material that decomposes you can effectively put into your your compost thing. Obviously not to put any food materials. um, That would
0: attract anything. Yes, exactly. So
1: any cooked foods, leave them out. But any, you know, certainly rotted fruit, um, vegetable that are going off, vegetable peelings, all of that is absolutely brilliant material yeah. for composting keep
0: it keep it vegetative for exactly you do.
1: yeah keep it green
0: yeah okay great um there's a great range of questions in as always pork a uh, couple of hedgy ones as well I noticed so we're gonna yes, start that time of year it is that time of year yes uh we'll start with a, a question about an escalonia hedge um when is the best time to trim it it's a young hedge mm-hmm. also wondering does it need to be fed and what's the best feed and um, this listener Anne also has some rhubarb plot it's in its third year and again what's best to feed here.
1: Okay. So first of all with the rhubarb third year so it's, it's really strong now and, and next year certainly you'll be able to harvest it. So the only thing to do with it is to put some organic matter. Again if you had some of your, garden, your own garden compost I'd be telling you to empty out the uh, Material and spread it on the rhubarb patch this time of year. But if you can get some organic matter, horse manure, cattle manure, um, you know, mushroom compost, that type of material. So you want something organic, um, compostable material, and you literally put a six or eight inch layer of that on top of the rhubarb patch and just leave it alone for the winter. What the listener can do then in January, I think I mentioned it last week, is they can force the rhubarb by covering it with an old terracotta pot or black bin, and you'll have lovely... pink sticks of Mm. rhubarb in February. Um, so, that, that's a little tip for. Her. In terms of the Escalonia, I like trimming back at this time of year. Remember what I said before about hedges? You need to trim them from a young stage. So and this
0: goes for all hedges because I see a number of questions in on trimming back hedges. Yeah,
1: so all, all particularly young hedges like Grisalini, Escalonia, Laurels, trim them as, at a young stage to develop that kind of nice full shape at the base. Otherwise, they, they tend to go vertical and become very leggy and you're chopping loads off them in, in, in years to come. So, start. So, with this Escalonia, I would take at least six inches off the top maybe up to eight inches off the top and trim the sides lightly as well and don't bother feeding it so we're not into the feeding of plants really at this time of year Mm. if you're putting down new plants yes you could add a little bit of bone meal uh, when planting just to get the roots to initiate but apart from that don't be tempted to be putting on any artificial or organic manures in terms of granulated fertilisers you know like chicken manure or pelleted fertiliser plants are going into the dormant season now they're slowing down so you're feeding them is only going to encourage new growth and they're going to suffer from that. So we stop feeding plants really at this time of year. The rhubarb is different. You're using an organic matter that's going to decompose down into the soil and be of benefit to the rhubarb then in the springtime. But in terms of granulated feeds, don't be feeding plants. Certainly trim them, tidy them back.
0: OK. Now, I have bought, in spring 2020, I bought two packets of noreen bulbs. All grew, none flowered last year. Only one of them flowered this year. The others have leaves only. What could be the cause of this? And the nerenes were looking really good this year, they I
1: thought. sure were. Back to 2020. Ooh. It must be the COVID, is <laughs> it? <laughs> So no it's not no it's not we're being it's not flippings. COVID. i have just been smart <laughs> yeah. yeah so look at nearines are in flower at the moment we were chatting about them uh, last week or the week before they're absolutely stunning this year but the nearine bulb takes a number of years to build itself up and many bulbs do that and um, particularly but particularly nearines so the best of nearines that you'll see in flower at the moment these are the lovely pink mm. or they come in white as well or in a kind of very deep can uh, nearly boarding on reddish color as well and um, they grow about two feet at most in height. Um, but the ones you see spectacular at the moment are really old clumps. So they do take a number of years. So this is very typical of, you plant them, they grow, you only get leaves for the first or second or third year, but gradually then they start to come into flower. And then every year, if you leave them undisturbed, they actually build up uh, the amount of, of color, particularly as the bulbs start to compete with one another and you get that really kind of tight clump of nearine. So the listener's has done everything proper, Leave them alone. Allow them to grow. This time next year, you should have a lot more flowers on them, and over the next couple of years, they'll just build into a really strong clump of colour. So allow them to die back naturally, as you would with any bulb. Um, you know, so over the next couple of weeks, they'll die back naturally.
0: So they just need a little time to come. A little to bit majority. of time.
1: That's all that's yeah. that's with them.
0: Great. Now mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever had nicer geraniums than this year. What's the best to do with them to keep them for next year?
1: Okay, so these are the these are are the frost tender geraniums. Pellegr- really, which are lovely and have been brilliant this summer because of the the really good spell of weather we had. Um, They are frost sensitive, so Mm -hmm. if you leave them out, the first frost is going to kill them. So my advice is to take cuttings at this time of year, short cuttings about six inches long, strip off the leaves, take off the old flowers as well, leave them to dry out overnight and then insert them the following day into a mixture of perlite and compost or even just pure perlite. And in a small pot, you'll fit six or eight or 12 geranium cuttings. Cover them with a polythene bag and sit them on a windowsill inside. They'll root within about a six or eight week period. So you get nice strong plants before Christmas and those you simply pot up into smaller pots and you have them um, so if you take the cutting of a red geranium, it's going to come true to type. It's going to be red next season for you. Remember, you cannot plant them out of doors until all risk of frost has passed in May of next year. Um, so that's the easiest way to propagate yeah. them. The other thing you can do is to lift the old plant or the plant that's there. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it's kind of awkward in terms of you have to. It's kind of big, clumpy and, you know, trying to store it. If you put it in a a tunnel or a greenhouse, you're going to have to protect it from frost. You could put it into a garage and it it would come through. Uh, But the easiest thing is to take cuttings because you're starting with nice, small, fresh, young plants again with more vigour and it's the easiest way to, to propagate them.
0: Okay, now I know you said not a great time of the year to be feeding plants but somebody is asking about winter flowering plants and heathers and do you feed those? No. No.
1: There's no need. So nothing gets fed. Heathers are are coming into flower at the moment, the winter flowering heathers and they're terrific because they flower right through the winter. They grow in ordinary garden soil so I'm thinking of varieties like Merton Ruby which is a lovely red flowering um, uh, heather, Mm -hmm. winter flowering heather. Um, There's another lovely one called White Perfection which has got pure Pure white flowers, they'll all tolerate ordinary garden soil. And if you plant them in groups of threes or fives, you get this lovely carpet effect. And um, so that's so that, and if you go on to my Facebook page, actually, I've put up a post this week with showing winter heathers from the Botanic Gardens in Dublin. But in terms of feeding them, they've already formed their flower buds, they're going to flower anyway. The time to feed winter flowering heathers is actually after flowering next spring. Okay. So when you're trimming them back, that's the time to feed them in April.
0: Great. Now, I bought two hydrangeas recently and planted them in two pots. One of them is lush green, but the other one has lots of red blotches throughout its leaves. And John is wondering, what might be the problem? What do you think? Well, there could be two different kinds of, uh, of hydrangeas, could they?
1: What if John said there were two of the same Two, two of the, the same. same. Varieties.
0: Oh, after that, I'm not
1: too sure. So you're dead right. The Geraniums or uh, hydrangeas come in different varieties. Some have got purple foliage, some have got variegated foliage, some have got green foliage, some have got dark green foliage. It depends on the variety of, of hydrangea. Um, so it could be just down to two different varieties. But generally where you see redness coming into the, into um, a green leaf plant is a sign that it's hungry. Ah. So plants that show that kind of reddish hue, it's a sign that they're under a little bit of stress, generally due to a nutritional problem and it can be a pest problem as well but generally if they're a bit hungry they take on that kind of reddish they lose the kind of green coloration and healthiness and they take on this kind of reddish pigment so it's often a sign that the plants are a little bit hungry if they're in pots maybe it's in the pot just too long and so remember hydrangeas are going going to be going out of leaf now so john has, has a has a decision to make to either transplant them out into the garden soil and and feed them well next spring or to repot them so once the leaves go off them, you could take them out of the pots, of the rain, shake off as much soil as possible, and repot them back into the original pots using a slow-release fertilizer, something like the Osmocote. You'll get that in your local garden centre. It's a slow-release six-month fertilizer that doesn't release during the winter, but is there available to the plants in the springtime. What's the name of that again? Osmocote Well, I said Osmocote. I shouldn't have mentioned that name because that's that's the commercial term. But right. you're, if you ask in your local garden centre for a slow-release six-month fertilizer, it's small little grains. You'll often. When you buy trees and shrubs, Mm, you'll see it in the compost. So the nursery people use it to grow our trees and shrubs. But the interesting thing with it is that that fertiliser doesn't release during the winter. It stays dormant, it stays sealed up and as soon as we get into warm temperatures in the spring it releases nutrition and feeds the plants for up to six months. So it's particularly good for hungry plants like hydrangeas. Okay,
0: and works to maximum effect. So maybe
1: repot them, John, is what I would do back into the original pots with fresh compost and some slow-release fertiliser.
0: Now we have three young trees, two horse chestnut and one cherry how much potash
1: (laughs) (laughs) well I wouldn't be putting any potash on them at this time of year now potash is uh, you'd often hear me recommend it for flowering Mm. trees and and fruiting plants uh, and so on and normally the time to do that is July, August, September that that time of year Um, so I wouldn't bother putting potash on at this time of year leave the feeding of the um, horse chestnut and what was the other tree Uh, cherry Uh, cherry tree until next spring so I wouldn't do anything with them at the moment they're going into dormancy so leave them alone next spring get yourself some rose fertiliser or a general tree and shrub fertilizer, and it will contain potash, and but it'll also contain other elements as well. So next day, April is the time to feed these.
0: Great. now uh, one somebody wondering when, which goes on first when growing potatoes: seaweed or horse manure? Mm. Mm. So that's well,
1: that's uh, those, those potatoes are going to be well fed anyway. I would say whichever comes to oh hand. God. So you can use either or either, or you can use both if you want. Um, obviously, the horse manure d- uh, potatoes do extremely well because it's adding nutrition, but it's all as, as adding a bulky material that potatoes want. Generally speaking, when you're planting potatoes in the springtime, you dig the trench, you open up a trench, you put a layer of horse manure into the bottom of it, well-composted horse manure. It should be two or three years old. You know, it should be nearly going back to soil, crumbly. Put that into the base of the trench and literally stick the spud into the manure and cover it up with soil. You could then, maybe a month or six weeks later, put a layer of seaweed on top of the drill because it'll help to suppress weeds and it'll also work its way back into the soil. So I would use both, to be honest. Generally with seaweed, um any seaweed, it, ideally you should leave it over the winter to let the rain at it to wash the salt off I it because it can be kind of high, high salt, salt content. But apart from that, it makes a great fertilizer.
0: Great. Now, how <coughs> to overwinter begonias, busy lizies and geraniums. I have a tunnel.
1: Okay, well, but, but Because it is in geraniums, you run the risk that in the tunnel the frost can... Can,
0: as we've been talking about there with yeah, the other with the yeah, and also
1: the tunnel can, can be quite wet over the winter with a lot of um, you know um, you know evaporation of water onto the plastic and dripping back down. So my advice really would be to keep the geraniums and the busy indoors on a bright windowsill in a spare room in the house. Somewhere cool but bright mm-hmm. and root them exactly the way I mentioned. The begonias will be grown from bulbs course, yeah. so they're still in flower and I would let them flower to the end of October into early November. Wait for the frost to kill them okay. back and then take the tuber out dry it off put a bit of green sulphur on it wrap it in newspaper and stick it in the garage somewhere so keep them out of the tunnel because the tunnel can be quite damp and also frost will penetrate through a tunnel if we get very cold weather
0: Okay we're going to take a look at a couple of photographs yeah. for it and we have a, a real one of those old uh, skillet, pots. skillet pots and it's filled with shamrock, shamrock. Ah. and the question is should I bring the shamrock in for the winter? No,
1: no, not at all like shamrock it's fab yeah, shamrock is actually um, totally frost hardy. It's it's related to clover. It's in the same family. Um, so it's perfectly hardy out of doors for the winter. Um, it will die back, so it'll die back to nothing by December, but it'll reemerge next spring again, so I'll leave it alone.
0: OK, now here we've got oh, a great blast fabulous. of colour. Beautiful. So question for Porik, when is the best time to transplant this tree and mm. how many sizes up should the pot be? Love the colour this time of year. We can see why. It's pot bound and I'll have to break the pot it's in, says yeah, Kathleen. Yeah, it's probably
1: going So it's an acer. It's one of the oh, Japanese maples. Isn't it stunner. absolutely stu- oh, wow. beautiful? Yeah. It's completely red mm. or orangey red it's colour. Least,
0: and it's vibrant. It really is, vibrant. yeah.
1: Acer palmatum or one of the acer uh, varieties and they are terrific. These are the Japanese maples. They do so well in pots and containers I mean you can see the size of that plant it must be mm. at least a meter high by maybe 1.2 meters in diameter and the pot is relatively small for the size of the plant so it's actually done really well and um, so the the my advice really again is to you're going to have to break the pot here to get that plant out and move it into a pi- pot about twice the size and you'll get it'll stay happy in that Pot for six or seven years. If you go twice the size, try to use a soil-based compost. Something like a John Innes compost would be good for the Japanese maple. And I would also give it a light trimming back in early spring. So just prune some of the outer branches back by maybe six or eight inches. That'll just encourage a fuller, uh, dense mm. shape on the on the tree as well.
0: Oh yeah, that's thanks it's for lovely. that. It's really absolutely gorgeous. gorgeous yeah. Okay. Uh, We have, uh, I think we have some algae of some kind here. Yeah, Yeah, okay. So algae, it's in a large gravel area. It's a close-up of it. That's...
1: Okay, so this is Strange. this is nostock, and we're going to see, yeah. nostock is a jelly-like algae substance, particularly when you get wet, mild weather like we're having. It can be considerably slippy. So if it's on yes. unca- path yeah, you know, and dangerous, to be honest, yeah. So the treatment to use is to use the pack. Use it at the one to five rate, a kind of a higher concentration rate. Um, it'll take about seven or eight days, maybe 10 days for the nostock to disappear. Um, and you may need to repeat it in about a month or six weeks time. So yeah, it's well worth treating that. It's invisible during the summer because it's, it's obviously bone dry, but as soon as it gets moisture, and particularly in the autumn, it comes back. So use the pack.
0: Now, Sue is wondering, how does she care for her Ponsettia plant at this time of year?
1: Okay, well, the good old Ponsettia, it comes to us from Mexico. And in Mexico, they grow, it grows wild. It grows like rhododendrons grow in Ireland. Or, uh, you know, it's, it's a it's a... It's a native right. garden, or no, no, it was not even a garden plant, it's a, a native plant that grows wild. And the trick to getting, and, and so many of the poncetia varieties that are available at Christmas actually keep their colour well into the late spring, nearly summer period. Now they've eventually turned from red to green, and they're green then for the summer period. And to get them back to red again, you need to exclude all artificial light. So where poncetias are grown commercially in Ireland, the glass houses are purposely put where there's no artificial light, no street lighting, no car lights, no lights. Because if it gets any form of artificial light, so if you keep it in a in your kitchen yeah. with with your, with your lights on, light or right, it's not it's gonna stay green. It will never trigger it back to turning so, red. So does
0: it need actual sunlight?
1: It, it, needs, it needs normal day length so right. whatever time the, the sun comes up <laughs> so 8 yeah. o'clock to say 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock whatever we have at the moment you have to just give it normal day length if it gets any form of artificial light including street lighting car lighting or lighting from your home it will always remain green
0: so very sensitive to that
1: very sensitive to light and so you know the the Irish Ponsettias that are grown here in Ireland mm. there are a couple of key nurseries that grow them they're Their nurseries are situated in areas where there's no artificial light or they have to exclude, they have to put a screen around the plants uh, at certain times of the day to exclude artificial light. Oh,
0: very very interesting.
1: So unless you're prepared to put them into a room where you're never going to turn on the light and no street lighting has come on, you won't get them back to red.
0: Right. So So it's a tricky. It's a
1: bit of an operation to get them back to red again. But it'll grow perfectly well as As a green green foliage plant. You could enjoy it. And you'll always get a little little bit of red red. coming on it, but you'll never get that back to the really vibrant. So I think leave it to the nursery. People, people to buy a fresh one every year, new, yeah, yeah. to be exactly. honest yeah, 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 yeah.
0: yeah they're, not, they're, they're, they're not overly expensive they're not worth
1: the, the, the trouble the, the dedication <laughs>
0: mm. now would you be able to advise on taking cuttings uh, which will be needed as a hedge on a house uh, this is at planting st- that is at planting stage now sorry so Laurel and Beech would be suitable as it's an open site are the cuttings better planted outside or in pots and coverage? and how long would it take to form a five or six foot hedge
1: wow so the house so that, <laughs> is
0: that's a projects The
1: house is at planning stage yeah. so these people are thinking ahead which which I always say you need to be putting the hedge in when you're putting in the foundation of the house because it takes a number of years. I mean typically if you buy a, a small gristlinia or escalonia or beach plant, you know it'll take it six to eight years to form a hedge that's going to be usable that's going to give you privacy or shelter or things. So it does take a number of years you've got to be prepared for that. Now you can buy the plants as big, you know you can buy them as six I foot flat. tall if you yeah. want but obviously there's an investment cost there taking cuttings this is a perfect time of year so first of all the key thing is to pick the hedge to suit the location so the listeners described it as being uh, an exposed site haven't they somewhere there my it's an open site. Open yeah, site. Yeah. So, you know, depending on what they what they define as open, but if it's if it's open to a lot of wind, particularly in coastal areas, if it's in a elevated site, you need to pick plants that are going to tolerate that. So, the olearia that we talked about last week, Grisolinia, escalonia, um, iliagnus subangii, the silver Edge, hedge, they do well in exposed, open, windy areas. If it's a more sheltered site, then the beech will work perfectly fine. Hornbeam is another lovely tree. And I think both of them are deciduous. So particularly with beech, the leaf withers, but it stays on the plant. Mm -hmm. And I think in rural areas, it looks really well. And it comes in a purple and green form. Um, Now, you're coming into the time of year for Beirut hedging. So that's where we're hedging are sold without their pots. So they tend to be relatively cheap to buy. Um, so depending on the l- length of area the listener has, I would say, first of all, they should price buying bare root plants because it'll be far more economical than mm. trying to take cuttings and growing through th- through that whole Total process. process yeah. yeah, Generally beech is sown from seed and that can take quite a number of years um, but other cuttings certainly laurel and gristlinia you can propagate from laurel or from at this time of year. It will if you take the strike the cuttings now you put them outside into a, a trench area put on the rooting gel they'll have rooted them by next April and then you can put them out into the area where you want to grow them but I think it starts really with selecting the the, the, so, hedge. the hedge to suit the location. Yeah. So like I said before, take a photograph of the area, bring it into your local garden centre. They'll give you advice in terms of the type of plant. I mean, there's such a, a wide choice of um, yeah. even more unusual plants like Berberus, Berberus darwinii, named after Darwin. Yeah. And it's, it's a beautiful evergreen hedge that has brilliant orange flowers in the springtime, really easy to grow tolerant of open windy conditions but you don't see it used as much for hedging. People tend to stick to the laurels and the gristling and so on. That's something a little bit different, the Berberus. Um, it comes in a purple form as well. Beech, as I said, Hornbeam is a lovely hedge as well. Um, very light beech but it's lovely in rural areas as well. Whitethorn, I think, is one of the nicest hedges of all um, even though it is deciduous but it makes a beautiful hedge if you want a nice, formal, neat hedge. Mm. Flowers, berries, uh, Cotoneaster is another Um, Holly, you know, so there's lots of hedges that we don't normally see planted as often as as some of the more common ones. Yeah, Yeah. so look, maybe take a picture of the location, bring it into the garden centre. They'll give you advice, first of all, on the the right type of plant and tell you how to propagate it then from cuttings if you want to go down that route. Or consider getting some bare root plants, you know, during the the month of, normally from about the first week of November mm -hmm. onwards.
0: <clears throat> and I suppose the other thing would be think about how often you will be maintaining it.
1: Oh, 100%. 100%. You are so right. Yeah. So, exactly, what's the purpose of the hedge? If it's for shelter and screening and you need something, you know, say six feet high, well, then you need to hedge this kind of slow to medium rate. If you want something taller, so making sure, exactly, yeah, you want to be thinking know, of the maintenance.
0: How often are you going to be out I, with the hedge it, trimmer?
1: Exactly, yeah. Yeah, cause, yeah, because yeah, there's so many different varieties with, with um, different types of vigour. And obviously, something slower growing is a lot less maintenance. The beach, I have to say, is is I know re- y- is. Y- y- you are a fan of the. Beach. I am. Well, yeah. I have I have a big hedge hedge it myself. <laughs> I trim it once a yeah. year. It's easy trim, yeah. and it's it's a lovely hedge, but it is slow growing.
0: Okay, now just back down here to uh, questions, Um Somebody sowed a pampas grass last year. Just wondering why it didn't flower this year. Keep up the good work. <laughs>
1: I, I intend to, yeah, absolutely. So why, it why didn't it flower? Listen, pampas grass do that. Um, uh, it, you know, it'll take several years for it to come into flower, so nothing to worry about. As long as the plant is growing healthy, it'll set down it to flowering. Remember, it's only in its teenage years. So give, give it give chance. it a chance. Give it a chance, yeah.
0: Okay, lovely photograph here of uh, a shrub. Uh, uh, it's coming into flower now. Yeah. Sean is in an and more. He's wondering, what is it?
1: So here's a great plant. This is a plant called Viburnum. Yep. Tynus, Eve Price. Well, there's different varieties. So you have Viburnum tynus and Eve Price is a slightly sh- shorter variety of it. It's totally evergreen. It produces these lovely pink buds at this time of year that open to white. Yeah. And it's, it, and you can see on the photograph that some of them are in flower. Some of them are really tight in bud. So this plant will actually stay in flower from now until next March. And here is a plant that you could actually grow as a hedge. It no. makes a terrific hedge. So it's viburnum tinus. It's evergreen, totally evergreen. It flowers right through the winter period. So it flowers right through autumn, through winter, and up until March, maybe up into April of next year. So it's flowering all winter long. Periodically, the flowers just continue open. See how some of them in the center there are really, really tight pink? Yes. They mightn't open for another two months.
0: Wow. So you've got others. a bit of color the whole time. It's
1: a lovely little thing. Very easy to grow. And it's tall. It, well, you can let it grow it to whatever height you want. Yeah, that one's up at the side yeah, of the Yeah, so of this is Viburnum Tinus. And if you want a shorter variety, a more compact variety, look for the, a variety called Eve Price. Viburnum Eve Price. Um, makes a terrific hedge up to, say, a metre, you know, 1. 1.4, 1. 1.2, maybe 1.4 metres. So nearly up to kind of six foot. It makes a terrific hedge. Um, easy to grow. Flowers all winter. The bees love it. Super plant. Super garden plant. And you don't have to grow it as a hedge. You can grow it as a shrub. In this instance, it's actually given great privacy. Mm, in the, in, you can in, see that. And, and obviously the listener has been cutting them <laughs> as far as up as they can as reach. As they can reach. So the top is, is begin to belly out. So obviously yeah. the, this, the um, middle section was, was trimmed. But it's a terrific plant. So it's Viburnum tinus, or look for a Viburnum tinus eve price. You'll get in your local garden centre. Super little plant.
0: Fantastic. Uh, Does double begonia grow the following year like dahlias? Yeah,
1: save them. Just lift the bulb and, and like I said, put a bit of sulphur on them and put them into the garage for the winter course, the well?
0: Somebody's wondering, can you repeat what you said a few weeks ago about rose trees that have seven leaves? Now, I just want to point people in the direction <laughs> of the podcast because all the programmes podcast, are podcast. Go onto the Midwest Radio uh, website and there are links there. Um, but we'll give you 20 seconds right. to answer that question so again. <laughs> the, the
1: point I was making about the seven leaves is that if roses are grafted onto a rootstock and generally the rootstock, when, if it starts to grow, it tends to take over from the actual variety of that you want to protect. Um, an indication that, that you're getting suckers or what we call suckers coming from the rootstock is that the leaves tend to be paler green in colour They tend to have seven leaves rather than five, and they tend to be very thorny, so lots of thorns and prickles. So they're totally different to the actual plant. So if you have a variety like, say, Arthur Bell, it'll have a totally different leaf structure to the 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 suckering unit. Now, some rose varieties, particularly shrub roses, do have seven leaves as well. So the seven leaves is is not just an indication that it's suckering. So look for the extra thorns on the leaves, the paler leaves, the green um, paler kind of leaves as well, um, and obviously the seven leaves will be there as well. So it's just, an, it could be an indication that the rose it's is suckering.
0: Okay. Yeah. Um. Can I plant garlic and onion now outside? I don't have a polytunnel. Oh, 100%.
1: Um, you know, garlic is totally hardy out of doors. I, I recommended two varieties, um, mm. Messedrome, which is a really good uh, variety, and Germador, which are both the white and the um, purple. Uh, garlic, they can go straight out of doors, absolutely. Japanese onion sets, the same, but the red and the, and the golden can go straight out of doors. If you've got a tunnel, plant some outdoors and in the tunnel and you'll have them coming on at different That's stages. Such. And if you're not quite ready for planting, you can literally put them into compost in a seed tray, grow them on for several weeks and plant them into a raised bed or whatever. So now is the time to be planting garlic and Japanese onion sets.
0: Now, I have an Indian summer flower in full bloom oh, at lovely. the moment, but about five metres away, another one died in the same lawn. So okay. I was concerned that maybe the same would happen to this one? Uh,
1: well, it shouldn't do. This is Alstroemeria Indian summer, which is a beautiful plant. It, it comes into it. It's got kind of brownish leaves and um, beautiful flowers. Um, they tend to be multicoloured flowers. Um, Alstroemeria needs free-draining soil. So the, the, the second one, if it's in wet ground alstomers will tend to die away so they do need a free draining soil but they are hardy out of doors they will flower up until the first frost they are perennial they'll come back next year again Mm -hmm. so really all the listener needs to do is is allow that plant to flower once it goes out cut it back to ground level put a mulch of maybe leaf litter or some bark mulch on top of the plant for the winter that'll help to protect it Um, and if you're planting another one make sure that the soil is free draining so it does need lots of grit and gravel and so on uh, dug into the soil. So wetness will kill alstramias right. more so than more so cold or okay. So else. maybe the
0: other one might be just I in a slightly a, damper area a, of the lawn or be, something like that. It could be. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, g- good morning can you ask pork, what type of cabbage seed can I sow now for planting in the spring okay
1: well, well first of all you'll get cabbage plants in your local garden centre at the moment um, varieties like pixie which is a lovely little dwarf um, variety which is really good um, but if you're sowing the seeds then there's a, a nice variety called April so you sow the seeds now they'll germinate in two to three weeks you can plant them in your tunnel or out into the garden soil and they'll be ready in kind of late spring early summer of next year another nice one called Golden Acre, which is a more solid round-headed cabbage, which is really good as well. So do both of those, April and Golden Acre. Greyhound would still work really well. Hispe, you can sow from seed as well. So pop into your local garden centre, there'll be plenty of seed and with the sort of temperatures we're having, they'll germinate. Yeah. Out outside, yeah, no problem.
0: Um, have, has mm. Porik, have you got Winter Beauty clematis in stock?
1: Yes, we have. Well, well, there were certainly some there during the week. So this is the lovely um, Winter Beauty that flowers from December through till kind of the end of February with little white, pure white, nodding flowers. So give the Garden Centre a ring in Turlock. We should. We, we had them in flower, and that particular variety is an evergreen clematis, Winter Beauty. Lovely little thing.
0: Now Anne is in Robe and she sent us a photograph of her garden. Oh, it looks lovely, Anne. Uh, can you tell? me, can I move well-developed shrubs and heathers? I've cut around my roses um, and do I do the same with the shrubs or do I have to start again? So she's I guess she's, oh she probably cut that on around yeah, the roses.
1: Well uh, yeah it? and it, it, probably some of the shrubs are, are kind of growing into one another um, you can see the heathers there yeah. and they're quite close to the conifers. Um, so I mean certainly you can do some pruning back on, on some of the um, some of the plants, if you wish, obviously the heathers are coming into flower now, so leave them well enough alone until next spring before you trim them back. Um, the, a lot of the plants that are there are quite mature for digging up and moving. You yeah, would certainly take a tall. risk. Yeah, yeah. So some of them, so you could propagate from cutting certainly at this time of year with a view to maybe taking out some of the really big plants and replacing them with younger plants again. And there's some cotoneaster there as well. You can see the the, the, the branches just kind of coming out up on the lawn. The yeah. So that's producing little berries at the moment. Yeah. And that could be certainly pruned hard back next spring once the berries go off the plant in April. You could give it a hard trimming back and it'll regrow again. So some of the bigger shrubs... Um, certainly could be pruned back. You could take some cuttings from them as well. And, you know, if if there are particular shrubs that you want to take out, like the heathers are getting quite tall there now and you won't really ju- rejuvenate those again. Yeah. They're giving a nice bit of colour, but they're getting a bit leggy and everything. So maybe it would be a good idea to maybe change those and put in younger plants again.
0: Okay. So well, it's really
1: that. just where plants have That's been Put too closely together. together and they're kind of grown into one another over over a period yeah. of time. Yeah.
0: Now, how do I get rid of chickweed? It drives me <laughs> mad. I did put white vinegar on it, but it kills my bedding plants. Uh, yeah, well,
1: that's what'll happen. White vinegar is acetic acid; it's acid, and it'll burn all plants. And and to be honest, white vinegar only uh, kills uh, weeds back to its soil level. It doesn't kill the root, cool. so they tend to re- regrow, regrow again. I mean, chickweed is just it's 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 a devil when it gets into. um
0: is that the one, is that
1: the one that kind of grabs on as a clickweed? Is no, 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 clickweed, Yeah, no, chickweed is it's very, very soft. Oh. um It's actually edible. You can actually eat it, and uh, but it's it it's it germinates and grows so rapidly, and it's full of water, um, and so you 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 know it comes up as a seedling, and within three weeks it's it's kind of covering um, an area. It tends to be a, a, a weed of vegetable gardens. So a couple of things you can do. First of all, you if you say for example it's. Um, a vegetable area and you've got ridges you could prepare the ridges over the winter period and then cover them with polythene allow the the chickweed to germinate it will Mm. germinate underneath the polythene and because it's it's not receiving any light, it will die away. And you can sow your seeds late in the season. Um, the other thing you could do is next spring, again, prepare the beds and put a cover crop of some of the green manures that we talked about, the likes of the phacelia, the red clover, and uh, the mustard. Sow that into the area and dig it all back into the soil. It'll tend to smother the chickweed. Or else let it germinate in the spring before sowing any seed and hoe it off.
0: Right. And, and manage and it, and that it that way. Yeah. Uh, is it the right time to trim ivy?
1: Yeah, well, you could, I mean, you can trim it at this time of year. The only thing, if you do trim it now, it's going to have that really cut look for the winter because it's not going to produce a whole lot of new growth between now and next spring. So I would leave it if you can. Better to wait. Wait until until next April. Um, make sure that there's no birds nesting in it and if there's not then certainly cut it at that time of year because it'll kick back into growth then um, very quickly. The ideal time if you've got mature ivy on a wall the ideal time to actually trim it is July-August period because oh. if you trim it, trim it then it'll produce new growth within a month mm-hmm. and that new growth then will carry through the winter. So cutting back any evergreen plants at, in at this, this month in October they're not going to be producing no, new growth so it's going to have that really cut look. Yeah. There's no harm in doing it. It's
0: not going to kill anything. It's
1: not going to kill the the ivy, but it is aesthetically not going to look pretty during the winter. It'll have lots of cut ends to it and so on.
0: Brilliant. Uh, Amri missed the time of the demo uh, that Deirdre was oh, no, doing. Deirdre's
1: there all day, so she's there literally from 10 o'clock today right through till 6, and she's there tomorrow from 12 to 6. Uh, and it's, it's um, you know, Deirdre tends to start a demo and, and, the, and the people come around her, so it'll be running all day long, so just pop in and have a chat with her.
0: Somebody's wondering, can they grow Japanese maples from cuttings?
1: No. They're difficult to propagate from cuttings. Um, They're normally grafted. uh, So they're they're grafted onto a rootstock. So you'll find it very difficult to propagate them. Um, You're better just buying a small, young little plant and starting it off.
0: Now, uh, somebody says, I let some of my carrots go to seed, but do I have to leave them in the ground till next year?
1: Um, (laughs) Well, no, like the carrots... Would
0: the, the, car, the
1: carrot be there underneath in the... Oh, well, of course, yeah. The carrots will will form. The tuber will be there. The, the root will be there, yeah. yeah. And carrots, you can leave them in the ground up till November sort of period, you know, to mid, maybe late November. Same with parsnips, they can be left in the ground. And you can store them in the ground. You can lift them and literally create a kind of a, um, you know, a small pit as it were, with soil or compost and leave them out in that area to store them or store them in a garage. But you should be lifting carrots anytime from kind of now till about the end of November. And the fact that they're flowered, that makes no difference. Okay. still produce a root. Uh,
0: should I transplant purple sprouting broccoli outside or leave it in the polytunnels? Well, you can sir? do a little
1: bit of both, Sure. The only problem with, with uh, purple broccoli is that it gets quite big. So it tends to take up a lot of space in your polytunnel. Now, if you have it in the polytunnel, you'll have it earlier. So I would actually do both. I would plant some of the transplants directly out of doors and they'll be ready to harvest in March and April of next year and then keep some in the tunnel as well. That's the beauty of the tunnel. It just gives you, it fools the plant on into thinking it's, um, you know, it's, it's it's going to grow that little bit faster and it just brings it on at least a month earlier. So do a bit of both.
0: Coach is wondering where can she get black or white th- white thorn bear root trees fairly big?
1: Well, first of all, you won't be able to get them until November. Right. Uh, So November will be the time. And again, pop into your local garden centre. They'll have a lot of Beirut plants. I mean, generally... Can you get them fairly big? You'll get them up to about a metre high, maybe Mm -hmm. four feet, up to four feet high uh, as plants. Um, so there would be kind of at least four-year-old plants at that stage. So look in your local garden centre. It's too early for bare root plants until about the second week of November. So once the leaf, and it'll depend on the season. You know, if the frost comes early, it'll be earlier. But, but generally speaking, it's about the middle of November onwards. And you can plant bare root plants right through to the following March. So there's plenty of time.
0: Okay, just one or two more now. <clears throat> We're nearly out of time. Uh, does Porik know if you, you berries are poisonous
1: to dogs? Well, the you it's Guys. actually, the, it's the ewe seed, seed that's poisonous. So the berry, the berry is actually edible, but the seed is poisonous and they're poisonous to both animals and humans.
0: Are the seed not in the berry though, no? They are. Okay.
1: They are, but <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I remember my student days uh, in, in Botanic Gardens. There was one of the students that used to eat the berries of the yew, but spit- out the but spit out the seeds. <laughs> so, so so yeah, it's the seed. It's the seed that's actually poisonous, okay. and they are poisonous to dogs okay. and to um, humans. Humans, right? Yeah.
0: Be very careful. Yeah. Okay. And final question: Can I, somebody intrigued by the viburnum titus discussion? Tynus, Can I? Titus, sorry.
1: Titus, yeah. Titus, t- yeah.
0: Can I? Can I grow it in a pot? How deep? How
1: deep yes you can it's a really simple plant to grow so Viburnum tinus um, go for the variety price if you're planting it in a pot because it's a better variety it's more compact it does perfectly well in a container just get yourself a nice you know medium to terracotta or or glazed pot maybe or timber barl and it'll grow quite happy in that lovely little plant
0: we'll have to pause it there I'm afraid so
1: remember Deirdre McCarthy is in the garden centre today and tomorrow and she's doing everything to do with Halloween how to dress up your doors and wreaths and all that good stuff spooky
0: brilliant all okay right. well that sounds like great fun all together thank you very much indeed Pork. Uh do stand by Michael Neary is coming your way next here on Midwest Radio on the Saturday morning country classics right through until one back next week all going well after seven until then have yourselves a super duper weekend good morning to ya